Our scripture reading today is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May God add blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of Scripture. Even though there were few people up here on the stage playing for us today and leading us into worship, the Spirit is mighty, and there is something about stripping down all things, stripping down expectations of how it's supposed to be, that the Spirit can be sometimes the loudest. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. Amen. There have been many sermons written on the passage that Debbie read today. In fact, there have been many sermons, many devotionals, and many books written on that scripture, Psalm 23, and they all seem to say just about the same thing. This passage isn't promising you that you won't be in the valley of the darkest shadow of death. It's promising that you will and that God will be with you every step of the way. Then, in good fashion, the, the, these writings on this passage go into the three Ps of Psalm 23. Patience, prayer, and purchase. You must be patient when you are in the midst of the shadow of death. You must pray all the time, asking God to comfort you and bring you peace. Then you must purchase my next book, which will tell you the real trick, which is releasing on April 22nd, 2024, $24.99, Amazon, and literally anywhere you can possibly maybe buy a book. What I mean by this is how this passage is often weaponized for clickbait, for sympathy, and book sales. And they all seem to say the same exact thing, yet at the same time, say nothing. So I decided to challenge myself. I wanted to look at this passage a little differently than it is typically looked at. So I spent the week reading Psalm 23 over and over and over and over and over again till I almost had it memorized. I'm really bad at memorizing things, so almost is really good for me. In doing this, a few questions hit me like a ton of bricks. What even is the shadow of death? What does it mean for believers? And what does it mean for non-believers? Let's start with the first question. What even is the shadow of death? Most often it is described in contemporary theology as a place where we are overcome with sadness or guilt or any sort of negative emotions and trauma that we may experience in our lives. It is the place where we each go when we are in our darkest times. The times where, for some of us, we struggle to get out of bed in the morning, to get dressed, or to go about our daily lives with our fake smiles on so that the world thinks we're okay because it is better for me to smile than for me to put my struggles out into the world, right? 
Doing this makes us go through this place alone, since we won't let anyone in to go alongside us. That is where the comfort in verse 4 comes in. We know that God is with us in these dark times, so we don't need anybody else. It can just be me and God having a grand old time the lowest lows of my life. But let me argue, I don't think that that's what this verse is about. In fact, I think that that is a pretty selfish interpretation of this passage. I propose that the valley of the shadow of death is the hell that we all find ourselves in through our own words, through our own thoughts, and through our own deeds. The darkest valley in our lives is, in fact, one of our own making. It's the places that we think God won't see what we are doing. The places where we hide when we know we are doing something wrong. The places that we create as a created people and think that God isn't there. But yet, God is there. Despite our greatest efforts to keep God out, God forces God's self in and travels alongside us. We get the greatest image of this on the day, three days before what the season of Lent is leading up to. Good Friday, the day of the cross. The day that Jesus entered into our darkest valley and said, the power is here no longer. And then rose again on the third day to set us free from the hells that we create. The hell that when we wake up and notice that the greatest evil is the one that has been staring us in the mirror this whole time. The one that told us that we are not within the love of God. The one that convinced us that there would be no other people that would be willing to join alongside us and travel into the wilderness that we have created. That is the darkest valley. That is where God travels alongside us to bring us peace, to bring us hope, to remind us that death and evil no longer have control of or final say in our lives that we no longer have to be afraid of ourselves and who we can convince ourselves that we truly are. Jesus established who we truly are. Beloved children of God, all of us, every single one of us. So what does Psalm 23 mean for us as Christians? It means that God has been our great comforter. It, and when we got in the way of ourselves, God sent Jesus to dwell among us, to take on the wrath of our sin and rise from the dead so that we may live as well. It means that Jesus, our shepherd, will never lead us astray, that he will never forsake us. It means that there is a place at his table for all of us, we can sit at the side of the Savior and be fed by the bread of love in the cup of hope. It means that you and me, we are beloved, created in the image of God and able to be led by God, be protected by God, be comforted by God, and be spiritually fed by God. 
The young adult group has been working on this book called Following the Call, Living the Sermon on the Mount Together. And this past week, one of the reference scriptures was 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 11. Let me read verses 3 and 4 to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all consolation, who consoles us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to console those who are in any affliction with the consolation with which we ourselves are consoled by God. God consoles us so that we may in turn console others. That is what this is all about. God is with us in our darkest valleys, not for the sake of us, but for the sake of all of creation. Leads us to our final question. What does this passage mean for those who are not believers or who are doubting their faith? I don't know about any of you, but I used to be the type that would quote scripture to someone with hopes that it would bring them comfort, whether they believed in God or not. You all know how many times that worked? None. As someone who has been on the other side of their faith, you want to know how many times it helped me? Again, none. In fact, and more often than not, made things a little worse. You see, when someone is in a place of non-belief in their heads, all of the things that are said in our scriptures are trite things that really just give people an out to actually being there for someone. We sometimes think, this verse gives me comfort, so obviously it must do the same for others. And sometimes it may. Don't get me wrong. But more often than not, it will be of no help whatsoever, especially if they are a non-believer. Think about it. If you were experiencing the deepest pits of your life and someone came up to you and quoted something from some religion that you don't believe in, you would probably respond with, what does that have to do with me? In my experience, there have been few times where the Bible alone made a believer out of someone. More likely than not, it was an experience or an encounter with the divine out in the world, or it was participating in a community that was able to support you and lift you up when you needed it most. All of this is to say that if you ever find yourself in a situation where you are with someone that is going through it and doesn't believe in God, just sit there with them. Just be with them. It was literally just a month ago when I told you that that's what Job's friends should have done for him, was just sit with him. That is the hope for the non-believer that exists in Psalm 23. We can be the essence and heart of God that sits next to them and travels with them through the darkest valleys because we know that that is what it's all about, community. When one person is experiencing sorrow, we are all experiencing sorrow. We all enter into their sorrow and travel alongside them, support them, and lead them to green pastures. We become the hands and feet of Christ in their life. We speak out about the injustices that force people into their darkest valleys. We give voice to the oppressed. We care for the widows and orphans, especially when that oppression is coming from people who claim the same faith as us. 
So let's talk about Ukraine. In an article written by Diana Butler Bass, the religious aspect of what is happening in Ukraine was brought to my attention for the first time. You see, Russian Orthodoxy holds the city of Kyiv as their Jerusalem, and the fact that they do not have control over it upsets them. Then on top of that, they have a ruler who thinks that God has given him the right to take back Kyiv by whatever means necessary, with the goal, as Butler Bass puts it, to spend Easter, either this or the next, in Kyiv. This has led to an onslaught of empty promises for safe passage, invasions of towns and bombings on the innocent at hospitals and city centers. The death toll is rising constantly, and every day more families are forced from the lives they knew with hopes of landing somewhere that they will be taken in, with hopes of even arriving to that place. All in the name of God. And we're over here on Facebook complaining about gas prices. We should be full of righteous anger. We should be speaking truth to power. We should be joining alongside the Ukrainian refugees as they are entering their darkest valleys. We should be journeying alongside them in solidarity and being the hope of God in their lives, bringing a voice that is alternative to the one saying, you do not belong here, go or be killed. We must console because first we were consoled. Then and only then do we truly understand what it means to have God join us in our darkest valley. The darkest valley is here. The darkest valley is now. The wilderness is all around us. The wilderness that we played a part in creating. The wilderness that we must play a part in getting all of us, every single person, out on the other side. That is what this whole sermon series is about, right? About being in the wilderness and experiencing the growth that is sure to come with it. It's about knowing that God is with us every step of the way. It's about knowing that we, in turn, must be with others every step of the way. It's about knowing that we are a community that is in all of this together that we must all stand up to the evil in the world, both the evil within and the evil without. It's about knowing when it's time to speak against the tempter, no matter how crafty they may get. It's about knowing the heart of God and letting that heart fill us up so that we may be a source of hope, justice, and peace in our world. The wilderness isn't about making you better by yourself. The wilderness is about bringing the kingdom of God to this earth so that we may more accurately reflect the world that God created it to be, a world that is good. Let us pray. Amazing God, as you enter our darkest valleys, give us the push, give us the shove, push us into the darkest valleys of others so that we may travel alongside them because you traveled alongside us first. We pray that you give us the boldness to speak out against the injustice that's happening in this world, that you give us the boldness to be your people that want to bring your kingdom down to this earth. 
to make the world a better reflection of what you created it and intended it to be. In your name we pray. Amen. Let us go together to the Lord's table.